0: Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast podcast1.com production.
1: It's great that you're here today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Our deals site is ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rage's moment. I can't believe it, but Wells Fargo is in the news again. Wait till you hear the latest developments involving Wells Fargo. If you're still banking with Wells Fargo, what are you thinking? And later this hour, another retailer has gone bankrupt. And I have important news for you about the failure of H.H. Greg, if they are in your service territory, and also what you should be doing when you're asked at any retailer right now if you want to buy an extended warranty or extended service contract. There's a special reason why you should say no now that I've never said before. I'm a little bit shallow breathing as I talk to you now about the video that has gone absolutely viral on social media of United Airlines behaving like a bunch of mafia thugs violently having a passenger removed from a flight in Chicago because United was a bunch of pigs. The story is United had a flight that was oversold. And they would not offer sufficient compensation that people would volunteer to get off the flight. United wanted to put four of its employees on a flight and remove four paying passengers and therefore wanted paying people to get off the plane so United people could fly on it. So nobody volunteers because the compensation they were offering was not interesting to anybody on this full flight. And so United said, hey, you don't volunteer, we're going to throw you off the plane, we're going to decide who we're going to throw off the plane. So United says, you're off, you're off, you're off, and you're off. These are people already in their seats on the plane. A doctor says, I'm not going to get off the plane, I've got a whole load of patients that I'm supposed to see tomorrow, which is today. And so United brings on somebody who's in blue jeans, turns out, I guess, to be an undercover police officer, and then other officers, and they violently yank this guy out of his seat, bust up his face, blood going everywhere on the plane, and then with the guy dazed, his glasses askew, I've got the video at Clark.com if you haven't seen it already. Drag the guy off the plane and United, again, with a culture of contempt for its customers that they don't even bother to call customers, they call passengers, United puts out a statement to the media that says, we're sorry our flight was overbooked. Unbelievable, unbelievable That the culture at United is so hostile to the paying passengers, the customers. The reality is if you have a flight that's overbooked, pay people more money till somebody says, okay, I'll get off the plane. I remember one time I was on a severely overbooked flight and they kept raising the compensation, raising the compensation. And I ended up getting five free tickets to give up my seat. I gave up my seat, five free tickets. I was happy to do it at that. So the thing is, to use violence because a customer who's already paid you and entered into a contract with you and is on a, in a seat on your plane – to use violence to forcibly remove them from a plane and injure them is obscene. So it's so ironic today, this is the day the annual airline quality ratings came out, and United didn't come in last on it. Of the full fare airlines, actually airlines overall, they came in ahead of American Spirit and Frontier. Best airline in the country this year, according to this, is Alaska, followed by Delta, followed by Jet Blue. And the airline quality rating is a long time respected rating of airlines in the United States. They use different criteria than the government does under the government method the best airline in the country is Southwest followed by Alaska and following that who comes after them? Delta. So the reality is that United, which came in under the government survey, in a terrible position, third from the bottom, is a company that needs a major change in how it does business. And all airlines need to look at this and realize that your customer is not your enemy, your customer is who pays the bills and the customer is not always right never is the customer always right (sighs) if you have little kids around don't watch the video with your kids where they can see it david's with us on the clark howard show hello david hi clark david you're going on a trip i just made it sound not so fun at all
2: to go somewhere well, I, I travel a lot for business, so I'm not too concerned about uh, um, you know traveling by myself. But in this case, I'm traveling with other people, and um, I, uh, one of them is an elderly person. So I was concerned about um, if I should look into buying some extra uh, insurance that's offered through the airlines.
1: So I would never buy the insurance that an airline offers. It's not well-priced, and if you're going to buy... Trip insurance? Are you talking about for a Medevac, um, needing to cancel because of a medical condition, that kind of thing?
2: No, what mainly interested with me uh, interested me is the emergency medical and emergency medical transportation. We're traveling to Europe, okay. And so, you know, anytime you buy a flight online, you see that extra right. insurance or trip protection. You never th- really thought about that, but uh, now that I'm traveling with an elderly person overseas, I thought maybe I should think about. The medical part of that
1: exactly, and typically, with a robust policy of that type, it will have an eye-popping figure. It will provide up to one million dollars coverage if you need evacuation in a a medical aircraft of you know a helicopter that's a medical evacuation one or a medevac uh, airplane you know to fly somebody to a first-world medical facility. And those are generally best purchased as an independent policy separate from anything the airline offers with the sale of their ticket. And there's a good website for you to go to to look for this stuff, David. It's called insuremytrip.com. Okay. Also, if you buy an airline ticket with American Express – they will have an option for an add-on coverage for uh, medevac and other facets of a medical event. And I don't know if you use American Express for your travel.
2: Um, I do. This particular airline that I'm traveling with, they have a partnership with American Express. So um, I'm familiar with that. So I just need to look into that more, I guess.
1: Yeah, so the, the offering from American Express for a foreign trip may be... A choice you should consider and what i would do is i would compare it head to head with what you'll see in insure my trip what insure my trip is is it's a um a clearinghouse site that allows you to comparison shop and select from many different insurance companies so you can custom tailor the coverage you're buying to the issues you're most concerned with Thank you very much. Got one other thing I want to tell you that that would be good for you to know. There are now a number of credit cards that include trip insurance if you buy an airline ticket or other forms of travel with their card, that it's just an automatic benefit that comes with purchasing travel on that card at no cost. Thank you again. And, sure. That is my favorite new benefit on credit cards as someone who travels almost every week, is knowing that just by using the right card, I don't have to worry about the consequences of the cost in the event of some kind of medical event in my family. Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kevin.
3: Hi, Clark. How are you?
1: Great. Thank you. And you have a question for me about something I am mute on. Why don't I talk about?
3: PlayStation view. So I've, I've uh, i like it? taken your advice and I, I do it. I, I really like it. I, I took your advice and, and was looking for alternatives to regular television. And, uh, I cut the cord about a month ago after my satellite provider, uh, raised the rates again. And, um, uh, I, I took I went with uh, PlayStation view because um, they offered the regional sports network that I, I enjoy and it was a deal breaker uh, to find any alternative that did not have that network um, but I've heard you discuss you know many different other um, you know streaming alternatives to regular cable and I rarely hear you talk about PlayStation view and it's it's unfortunately named because when you hear the word PlayStation, you automatically think, well, that's some gamer's uh, deal, or at least that's the impression that I had when I first heard it. And uh, I think it's, um, Sony could have done a better job naming the product. Um, I think it would open more people's eyes to the possibility, but I think it's a van- fantastic product. Um, I'm saving $120 a month. Wow. Than, you know, what I was doing before. Yeah.
1: So, um, I have mentioned it before, but very rarely. You're correct. And it costs 30 to 60 a month approximately, depending on which program package you buy. And, Right. Do you have to watch it through a PlayStation?
3: No, you can use any streaming device. Um, it, I have an Amazon Fire TV, but it works with Roku, Apple TV, or any other streaming, you know, uh, common streaming, streaming device. And I think that's, that's part of the issue, is that when people hear the name of the product, they assume you need a PlayStation to watch it, and you don't need one at all.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, very familiar with it because my wife has actually done some work that was on the uh, PlayStation View network, so uh, I'm familiar with what they do. The, the reality is there are going to be so many new streaming products introduced throughout this year, and the Sony's been around for, what, a year and a half, I guess. There are going to be so right, many yeah. of these that they're going to get lost in the noise, and it's unclear... Who's going to emerge as the winner in terms of the people offering these packages? But there is one very clear winner, and that's you as a consumer.
3: Correct. Yeah, And the fact that there's no contracts with any of these services is a big bonus because you can bounce from one to the other without having to worry about termination fees or anything like that.
1: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to mention it because I, I'm like a a broken record talking about the DirecTV now and the Sling.com and now the YouTube TV, and poor Sony, I just leave them out all the time. So I'll do better.
3: Yeah, yeah well that, that was my feeling, and I, I'm a big fan of your show. I listen to your podcast regularly, and uh, I just kind of wanted to throw that in there so Sony could get their due.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and... You enjoy saving all that money. I can't believe for the eighth time, this has never happened in the history of our show, for the eighth time, the Clark-rageous moment is about Wells Fargo. Wait till you hear the newest information that came out just a little while ago today.
4: Ripoffs. Outrages. It's a clark Regis moment.
1: After you hear this, if you are a customer of Wells Fargo and you stay there, it definitely means you hate yourself. I mean, you have to have a masochistic side to you. Because the newest information from an independent investigation of the practices at Wells Fargo show that cheating customers became part of how they did business. You ready? Ready? In 2002, the top executives of Wells Fargo knew that the cheating was underway. That means the cheating even predates 15 years ago. So today the company decided to claw back money from two former executives, one of whom now will only get $137 million in compensation instead of the higher amount he would have gotten. So what do you think of that? Your business that you run engages in criminal behavior. You know about it. All the way back 15 years ago, and your punishment is you're rewarded with $137 million when you were kicked out the door. And that's what you're left with after they punish you and take away some other money, and nobody goes to jail. I want you to think about it. Should you really be doing business with this bank?
0: Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Thank you for joining us here on the Clark
1: Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is the website. Clark.com slash ask for you to ask a question. Lots of questions coming in about yet another retail failure. And they always lead to a lot more questions when it's a retailer that does electronics or a retailer that does appliances. In this case, we got one that does both H.H. Gregg which if you don't live in an area that has H.H. Gregg, you're like, who cares? Well, there's things you need to know in a year of great tumult in retail with so many retailer failings, failures in the United States. And H.H. Gregg, it was an open secret for the last year that they were teetering on the edge of insolvency and then extinction, and that's how it's playing out. So there are two areas that you need to think about and know about, specifically with HH Gregg and then with any appliance or electronics retailer that may fail at some point in the future, or any retailer where it involves a gift card. So in this case, a very generous bankruptcy court judge is allowing the use of of the money on H.H. Gregg gift cards in the stores for two weeks. That is unusual. Generally, once a retailer files and is going to be liquidated rather than reorganized, but instead liquidated, the money held on gift cards usually is liquidated instantly. It's gone. In this case, the judge gave your money a reprieve from execution. So as the liquidation sales get underway, you'll be able to use that money in the stores. The second issue that comes up repeatedly with the failures of electronic stores and appliance stores is if the salesperson gets you to buy one of those worthless extended warranties, extended service contract things, the one you have may or may not survive a retail failure. And as an example, in the H.H. Gregg failure, most of the warranties that they sold were third party, not their own. So, as long as the third party warranty company remains in business and solvent, your appliance or electronics your big screen tv whatever is still covered by that extended service contract extended warranty but like in the case of hh Gregg, it's a blend because some of the stuff they sold they kept as in-house warranties meaning that they will be likely worthless and you will have no use of it for what you paid so you could scramble and see if you can get a refund on the extended warranty, extended service contract because they won't be able to perform on it. But the other possibility, particularly for more expensive items, is that those are not actually in-house HH Greg warranties or service contracts and you will be able to continue to make a claim with the third-party company. you got to know who they are you got to find your paperwork, and while the doors are still somewhat open, if you can't find your paperwork from the appliance or electronics you bought, you need to go see if they can give you that information. The most important information I want you to have is that when you are buying appliances or electronics, don't buy an extended warranty or extended service contract, whichever they're marketed as. They are trash. They are junk. They are a waste of your money. The reason is is that the payout rate on them is usually somewhere around $0.08, meaning for every dollar the average consumer pays in, the value that comes back out is somewhere around $0.08 meaning $0.92 of every dollar paid towards an extended service contract or extended warranty is never used, never to your benefit. It just lines the pocket of the retailer and or the third-party warranty company. And I know all the lingo. The salesperson at the retailer is going to say, don't you want to protect your investment? Okay, a TV is not an investment. A TV is something you buy because you want it and you want to enjoy it. A dishwasher is not an investment. Neither is a refrigerator or a stove or anything like that. And what you'll pay for them, remember, what you pay for them is pitiful, what you pay in versus the benefit you get. And I'm going to say something cruel about the TV stuff. If you can't afford to replace a TV that croaks, you can't afford to buy such an expensive TV to start with. I know that's a rotten thing for me to say but it's true if you're having to buy a service contract or a warranty because you can't afford to fix the TV that you just bought it means that you should not be buying the TV because it is a consumption it is a lifestyle choice and the things that should be insured in life are the things that you can't afford to replace on your own a la a car a house but when you start having to buy insurance on a consumption like a tv a purchase like a tv wow lewis is with us on the clark howard show hello lewis hey how you doing clark great thank you you're Uh, thinking about buying a newer used Truck is that right yes yes
5: four by four something very reliable
1: all right so Um, how are you going to decide between new and used
5: well everybody's leaning me in the direction of new because i tend to hold on to a vehicle for a a prolonged period of time as long as it's reliable um how many years is that? that uh geez the current truck i own now i've had at least 12 years
1: then you buy whatever you want. What you're hearing is absolutely valid because the math shows that if you buy a new vehicle and you tend to keep it for 10 years or longer, that the economics, it really doesn't matter whether you would buy used or buy new. The economics are so favorable for you because when you own a vehicle a decade or longer, why not treat yourself to a new one instead of a used one? Because the real loss in a vehicle is typically in the first three years. And you blow so far past that with a vehicle ownership cycle, and you're looking at one of the most reliable brands that exists, right?
5: Yeah. So Yeah, they're just very pricey.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so the, if you can afford it as a new vehicle and you're going to keep it that long, go for it. Now, potentially, and I should tell you, the math typically works like this. Owning a vehicle, a new vehicle, 10 years or longer, works out mathematically in terms of how it affects your wallet pretty much the same as buying a 2- two- or 3-year-old vehicle and keeping it for four years. So the math is pretty much equal in both of those scenarios.
2: Okay, okay.
1: So um, personal preference here.
5: Yeah, I just, I have to come up with, I have to save a, a ton of money just to get it to within the payments I want to be in, and the dealerships don't like to hear that.
1: All right, So, <laughs> so if that's the case, and you're at a point where your 12-year-old vehicle has become not as reliable as it was, I'm gathering?
5: It's still it's still very in good shape, but uh, I'm just worried that something major might happen.
1: Well, at 12 years, uh, you feel there's a, a total green light to do something else. So in that case, I love the discipline you're expressing to me. So maybe mm-hmm. you do look at a 2- or 3-year-old one because then the payments would be affordable at this point, right?
5: Yeah, but uh, it's geez, that that puts that puts me in purchasing a vehicle that has over 100,000 miles on it.
1: 100,000 miles at 2 or 3 years old?
5: Uh, to get me within the price range I need to be in for a loan. So I, I, that's what I don't see uh, it doesn't balance out to me. You know, my goodness, you're
1: right. That's that's an ugly picture. Because usually when you hear me talk about a two- or three-year-old vehicle, I'm usually talking about one with twenty to 40,000 miles on the odometer.
5: Yeah, I would love to get something like that, but be in my affordable range. <laughs>
1: and that's not going to be. So then I would say you keep driving the 12-year-old vehicle till the wheels fall off. okay really i mean you're a conservative guy you're careful with your money and so i think that i've talked myself out of the whole new vehicle thing right now because i hear your conservative nature so the 12 year old vehicle's working lewis you keep driving that thing garen's with us on the clark howard show hello garen hey clark how you doing great thank you you're about to graduate from high school that is correct congratulations and i have, thank you what are you going to do in the fall um i'll be going down to
6: a state university and i'm looking at about four years
1: you're looking at about four years what do you mean you'll you think you'll get through it in four yeah okay you know That puts you in rare company to go to school and graduate, actually, within the four-year cycle. So good for you.
6: Yeah, and I have two questions, and they both pertain to uh, student loans. Um, First off, it does look like I'm going to have to take out private loans, (sighs) but not, not too much. Is there anything that I can look for or specifically stay away from?
1: So, going to a state school, the good news is you probably won't have an excessive amount of borrowing beyond what you can borrow under the federal student loan program. Are you completely on your own for the money you're going to need for school?
6: Um, For the most part, my parents will help me out a little bit, and I did qualify for the um, $5,500 unsubsidized Stafford loan,
1: so... And how much beyond that are you going to need to borrow?
6: Um, with with scholarships and help from family, I'm probably looking at five to eight thousand a year. I'm hoping.
1: So you're going to end up when you graduate with somewhere uh, close to fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. Correct. Okay, that's a little unnerving, but if that's what you're going to need to do and you're going to a state school, you're showing you're being careful. Um, you're, I'm so reluctant to ask you this. What are the chances that your parents would be willing to take out a parent plus loan for the portion that you that goes beyond what you're allowed to borrow at
6: $5,500? Oh, um, I think... You know, we haven't looked into that that much. I've been researching it recently a little bit, but I do think that is something they would consider.
1: That would be a much preferable path to you borrowing for school than taking out any of the private student loans. Okay. So that's what I would do about that, if your parents are agreeable. The private student loans account for roughly 10% of the borrowing market, and it's so little because the private student loan lenders tend to uh, create real havoc in your life. Okay. And you said you had that, another part of your question about it?
6: I did. Once I'm out of college, you know, I I want to get those loans paid off as soon as I can just because there's typically a pretty high interest rate. Um, am I better off saving up and... Um, maybe renting a cheaper apartment or house or something, saving up, paying off those loans, and trying to start a retirement fund, or am I better off getting a house, and uh, a cheaper house at that? Right.
1: You were so amazing, Garen. This is not usually what I'm hearing from somebody at 17 or 18 years old, planning out so <laughs> methodically, and your parents have done a great job with you, or someone else has, or you've done a great job with yourself with your attitudes about money. I think it's wonderful. So the answer to your question is door number one. Definitely put your emphasis on paying back the student loans. Live in very affordable housing. You pay those back. You put money in retirement. Once you've taken care of that stuff and you've cleared those decks, then you look at buying a house. And I think you're going to do just fine in life with the positive, wonderful attitude you have. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com, and producer Joel poses your question to me. Clark Penny wants to know, what's the best way to save for retirement if you're over 50, married, and have gotten off to a late start in investing? How do we get the most bang for our buck over the next 20 years? So... You start when you start, and if it's in your 50s, you've already said something very wise, and that is that you'll need a 20-year cycle to save money. Now, you what you do first is if you have any form of retirement where you work, you want to stash as high a percent of your pay as you possibly can into it and start with what you can do, and then normally I say every six months step it up a percent, But because you're starting out in your 50s, I want you to add 1% more to it every six months. Now, if you can't do that because you don't have a retirement plan where you work, then you're left with a Roth IRA. You're allowed to put in up to $6,500 each when you're past your 50th birthday. And so that would allow you to save up to $13,000 a year if your spouse is also past age 50, And that would be a great place to start. I have a guide at Clark.com right where you posted this question to me about how to set up that Roth and start funding it. Once you decide to do it, you can get it up and rolling and investing in it, typically
0: within 10 minutes time. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com save. That's quickenloans.com S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030 glad you're with us on the Clark
1: Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. We're going to talk about the potential for you to get ripped off big time in just a second. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Coming up in a half hour, there are some new ways that people may be able to go to college much more affordably, which is becoming a big-time issue in the United States. I'm going to talk about the alternatives in just 30 minutes. i talk right now about something that was supposed to go into effect today and now is suspended, and that is the requirement that people who advise you on your retirement accounts would have to work in your best interests what's known by the technical term fiduciary duty so to give you the history there's been an enormous problem in the United States that most people aren't aware of till they've been harmed severely But when you go to somebody for financial advice, overwhelmingly at full commission stock brokerages and at insurance companies, the people you're getting advice from, you think they're working for you, but they're not. They are allowed to do what's not best for you. And so they don't have a duty To protect you, you are expected to protect yourself from crummy advice and crummy investment or insurance choices with you not even being aware that you're being sold junk. Well, there was a decision made by the U.S. Department of Labor that it would be bad for you if the person giving you advice was actually advising you what was best for you. I don't understand it. It puzzles me, and it makes it even more important that I make sure you know that when you leave a company or you retire or whatever, salespeople will come out of the woodwork trying to tell you what you should do with that money. And usually, if it's an insurance salesperson, they're going to try to get you to buy one of those piece of junk annuities. The annuities have massive, enormous, gigantic, humongous commissions, fees, and expenses. It's not unusual for the cost that you pay in an annuity for all those fees to exceed by a factor of 20 times over what you would pay for a low-cost investment choice with your money that you have saved for retirement. That's how unbelievably outrageous the expenses are on fixed annuities, variable annuities, and indexed annuities. So there's not a rule now to protect you from people that would take advantage of you. So remember what I'm saying. Most often, when you leave a place of work, the safest choice is usually to leave your money in the plan it's already in with your now former employer and not to move it. Now there's been a big back and forth at the full commission stock brokerages. If the what's known as fiduciary rule did not go into effect, whether they were going to proceed anyway to put you first and no longer put you in junk because it made them more money. And the industry is trying to figure that out as I'm speaking. How they're going to play this. But the only good place for you to go for advice and guidance is to someone who truly lives up to being a fiduciary. And I put together, in anticipation of the Labor Department stabbing you in the back, I put together a guide at Clark.com to walk you through how to pick people. And instead of dwelling on who would rip you off, what I did is I went only positive by putting up organizations that you could trust with an explanation about how each organization does what it does so you could figure out who could best serve your needs. So I'm asked, is there ever a situation that an index annuity, a fixed index annuity, a variable annuity, any of these products, is there ever a time that they would be the best choice? And truthfully, I know of none. I don't know of any. And I have a special word for you if you are a teacher or you work at a nonprofit, or any place where your retirement plan is known as a 403B, B as in boy. So with a 403B, what happens in a lot of school districts, to the teachers and administrators and all that, is the school district doesn't want to be bothered with how your retirement plan works. So they will allow an insurance company to come in and talk to its teachers and administrators and principals and all that, or hospital workers, whatever nonprofit, and they will pitch you on their ultra, 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 ultra high cost annuity junk. It's a family show, so junk is going to be the word for it. If you've been paying in somewhere for a long time, you will find that you are best served to move that money to a low cost provider, of which there are principally two. You can do a tax free exchange to TIA, T I A A dot org, which is the best organization in America, bar none, for teacher and nonprofit people's retirement plans. Vanguard is kind of a minor player in that, but they are another choice. I don't know of others. And know that that individual who's so friendly and comes and talks to you at the school and signs you up for a 403b plan with his or her company, they are charging you enormous fees for it typically 10 times what the 401k fees are likely to be compared to what somebody works for at a company that offers a 401k to its employees. Why they get so much better a deal than you do working in public service, I don't understand. But again, that was a decision of the Congress, and you need to be aware that it's up to you to not get taken, and as for school districts, universities, hospitals, and the rest. If you don't know much about this stuff, just go sign up your employee group with TIA, because then they will pay teensy-tiny costs for their retirement money and you will give them a much brighter retirement and yourself, by the way, by using them instead of who knows who insurance company. Frank is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Frank. Hey, Clark.
4: Um, lifelong listener. My grandparents, I believe my grandma is listening to this right now. Uh, got me listening to your young age. Well, uh, that's great.
1: So, what's, the, what's um, the number one thing you've learned, Frank, being forced to listen to me all these years? <laughs> Stay out of debt. Very good.
4: Only buy what you got money to pay for.
1: I love that.
4: So, here's my deal. Uh, I'm a 23-year-old recent college graduate, um, returned home to the family business. Uh, we're, we're farmers. And so, uh, I don't have any debt. Um, I've got about 30 thousand dollars in savings and i was recently approached by a wait 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 wait, wait. Stop, stop
1: stop 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 you just graduated from college and you've already managed to save thirty thousand dollars uh yeah
4: I, I had scholarships and stuff and kept a really good gpa and I, I pretty much made money
1: going to college and I, i've worked really hard wow wow okay this is fantastic so uh so anyway i got completely sidetracked because you were trying to ask me a question i'm sorry so i was
4: recently approached by uh, an acquaintance from school that got a job as a financial planner and uh he set up a meeting and and came by and spoke with me last week and um you know threw out a lot of fancy lingo and stuff and and wanted me to set up an account with him but Uh, I guess from listening to your show, I know well enough that not everything that glitters is gold. So, I mean, what would your advice kind of be, and what's your take on financial planners and and financial advisors?
1: Well, generally at 23, you don't need that. All you need is a simple plan where you're putting money aside for what your goals are. What are the goals that you're interested in? I mean, gosh, you're already doing a great thing for yourself. But what do you hope to accomplish with money you save and invest?
4: Uh well in the near I'm, i I'm mean, in the next few years I'm gonna need to buy a house. I'm currently renting. I'm kinda waiting for I've got my heart set on a house and I'm kinda waiting for that to become available. Um and so probably gonna continue to rent for another another couple years and then I'm gonna need to buy a house and um and I'm a farmer so land I really like to invest in land. Um, i haven't been able to buy my own land yet but i'm kind of saving up and moving towards that that'll be my next step after i get a house
1: all right so you are truly at this point a saver not an investor because if it's money you let's say that house becomes available you've got to be ready to go you got to have that money and go for it right so i would think that if you've got money in one of the online banks, that's where I'd want you to have your $30,000, where you could earn like 1.25% right now is about what you could earn. That uh-huh. You just stash that cash in savings. But you're so determined to handle money well that I would like you to start the habit of doing a Roth IRA anyway. And put right. I
4: have I have some money in a traditional IRA that I needed for a tax break.
1: All right. Um, I I don't want you to worry about tax breaks at twenty three. I'd much rather you look at doing the Roth. Okay. And if you'll go with one of the really low cost companies I have on my investment guide, just put in twenty three. Put in to the target retirement fund. uh, Probably year twenty sixty or twenty sixty five. Okay, And whatever you can put in every month, you put in as long as you meet their fund minimum, go for it. You can't put in more than 5,500, which I have to say to you because you're such a great saver. <laughs> but I would do, I would look at this as a two part thing. I'd put money into the ultra inexpensive Roth IRA uh, every month or quarter or whatever you can and then everything else just goes straight into the online savings account so that you're ready the second that home becomes available, you've got your money ready for a substantial down payment on that home. You've already set the table so well with it 23 years old already having saved $30,000. You're well on your way to having that house in your life. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Michael, you bought a great deal to Australia and then couldn't go, and now you're sitting with how much money that you've got to use.
2: I have a $1,200 credit and, of course, waited to the last minute and have a couple days that I need to rebook, and my wife and I are fairly flexible, and we're wanting to employ the Clark Howard Go somewhere and then talk yourself into why you want to go there. So you'll take
1: the money and you'll use it as a gift certificate and go wherever in the world is a bargain. That's correct. All right. So here's what I want you to do is Kayak, K-A-Y-A-K. Kayak has a great tool called Explore. So if you go to Kayak and you click on More, you'll see Explore, and you can pull up from your home city if you want to look only from there what the lowest fares are all over the world right now okay you then you got to hope that the airline you have the credit on is participating in whatever that low fare is but when you click on one of those it'll show you what airlines they know are offering that deal and you'll likely be able to find the most efficient use of that money
2: that is a fantastic tip because there's. I don't think there's a worse way to go about doing this than it's almost backing in, but that is a great tip.
1: Oh, it works. It idea. works great. Now, if all else fails, the best deals in the world right now are to the um, markets in Asia. I don't know if you have okay. any interest in going to Asia, but the deals to Asia have been unbelievable from Chicago los angeles seattle and san francisco okay and so if you looked at it where you found a screaming deal from one of those four cities you just buy a domestic ticket from where you live to whatever that gateway is okay. and then get maximum bang for your buck out of that money
2: that sounds fantastic
1: well i hope that helps you spend that money and have a great experience somewhere
2: Clark, i appreciate it thank you have a great day you
1: too and the kayak explore thing when you are a real bargain traveler is the best tool i know to say hey i never thought about going there but look at that price i'm gonna go
2: i'm john horn i'm the host of geffen playhouse unscripted i'm here with our very first guest rain wilson
0: hi john looks like i'm the first guest on the geffen unclothed unscripted Unscripted, yeah. Let's
1: go with that. A Marriage Made in Heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil Labute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share.
2: And
0: And I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You are the very first guest. This was a huge Uh, mistake.
2: Geffen Playhouse
0: Unscripted. Huge mistake. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast.
1: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And if you like deals, you'll love Clark Deals, ClarkDeals.com, where we... Post bargains for you every single day. Speak of a bargain. In the state of New York, college is going to be free for people who are middle class or below. Now New York defines middle class at income up to $125,000 a year. Now that's more than double the average income in the United States, but I guess living in New York can be really expensive. So college will potentially be free for an overwhelming number of people in the state of New York. The reason for this, the thinking of the legislature and the governor, is that today a college degree is the equivalent of high school 50 years ago, high school diploma and that people need the education in order to be able to access a good career path and so if you go to a state school in new york that tuition will be at zero dollars there's a long tradition in the city of new york uh, new york city which for a long time has had one of the largest public college systems in the country bigger than most states it was a tradition for a long long time that college was free in what was then called ccny it's no longer free in ccny or what's now called cuny but now the state is saying that state university tuition will be free and if you want to go to a private college that you'll be given a voucher to attend a private college This is just one answer of the things that people are coming up with to deal with the lack of affordability. I just saw a report that the average cost of a college education per year has been rising at four times the general rate of inflation in the economy. And it's my belief that that is because of the easy ability to borrow money that it removes the discipline from the marketplace, and I would love it if we stopped allowing people to borrow money like we do in the U.S. for college. It has been my hope that we would make community college around the United States free, and that if community college was free, People, regardless of income, would be able to attend college, and the burden for the taxpayers of providing free community college education is teensy tiny. I know that in the presidential campaign, it was very popular with some segment of voters when the socialist um, Bernie Bernie Sanders, right? Gosh, I should remember that. I'm so not a socialist. It didn't even register in my mind. But I know he had had the proposal to make college free. And I'm not a fan of making college just, you know, all colleges free. I think that is not where we should be at. But the ideas, the experiments, like Texas having the $10,000 four-year degree, florida converting community colleges from being two-year campuses to four-year campuses all across the state of florida to make tuition so much more affordable new york doing what they're doing with the free state college tennessee having a program where uh, tennessee residents can go to vocational college technical school for free south carolina working very closely with with industry to provide education that the students can walk right into a job equivalent of an apprenticeship like is done so heavily in Germany. We can't keep doing what we're doing with the massive borrowing. Speaking of Germany or anywhere overseas, more and more Americans are going overseas for college. Our high school junior is going to look at some colleges in Europe, because even including the cost of going back and forth to college in Europe, it's a tiny fraction of the cost for her to attend an English-speaking college program in Europe than it is here in the United States. And in the northern tier states, a lot of kids are going to Canada for college because college is so much cheaper north of the border. The most important thing I want you thinking about, if you are going to college yourself in the next couple of years, or you're the parent of a child headed to college, is that taking on massive amounts of student loan debt is not a good idea. And now I I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that a number of colleges are now offering programs where they cover a portion to all of your student loan debt. If you don't get a job paying what they agree in advance would be a sufficient amount of income that would allow you to service and pay off the student loan debt, the university takes on that burden for you. And that's putting your money where your mouth is. If you're going to charge a huge amount of money to your students – then deliver for them and if you don't you don't leave the students high and dry speaking of being high and dry there's an issue much in the news about people that are in public service jobs that the u.s department of education has decided retroactively that a lot of people approve for loan forgiveness for working in a public service job as uh, a medical person or in education or whatever, that their loan forgiveness is being revoked and that they're going to have to pay their loans. And I don't know what the thinking is at the U.S. Department of Education because it is the law of the land that if people work in certain professions, they have loan forgiveness. So there are certain steps you need to go through to make sure that your job is properly certified for loan forgiveness And I have those steps you need to follow for you at Clark.com. Andrew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Andrew. Hi, how are you doing, Clark? Great, thank you. You have a question about your home.
7: I do, I do. Yeah, in uh, 2015, uh, my wife and I uh, moved out of our first home that we bought in 2012 for $130,000. Um, we moved to a, due to a relocation and a little bit of an upgrade. We transferred the house into a rental property. And uh, since we bought it in 2012, it has gone up probably very conservatively, probably $50,000. And it's my understanding that if I were to sell it uh, in three years after converting it into a rental property, I could do so without having to pay a capital gains tax.
1: Yeah, as long as you get the deal closed in that time. So you have right. to have and lived that- in it two of the last five years. But if you go, technically, you go a day beyond that window, you lose that. So you don't want to be too clever with when you put the home on the market because you want to get it done where you know you've gotten it done before that fifth year is over.
6: Right. Yep.
7: Yeah, that's the plan. Now, do you think that, that that's a, a a good strategy, or should I just hold on to it like a long-term that I originally intended to, to treat it as.
1: Okay, so that's a great question. So you got, let's say you have $50,000 in embedded gain today. So that $50,000 uh, for a typical taxpayer, the tax bill on it would be somewhere around, you'd end up paying 10000 total at the sale of the home. If it was, you know, that gain was taxable. So... Right and you'd end up with $180,000 in your pocket minus 10. You're not in a situation where the gain is so large on your home that there's a compelling argument for you to sell it. What kind of mortgage rate do you have it at?
7: Uh, that's another thing. It's only 3.6% in uh, about 25 years to go. So.
1: <laughs> you know, with that kind of cheap money on it and the fact that your embedded gain doesn't lead to a massive tax bill. You don't mind being a landlord, I gather.
7: Yeah, well, I've lucked out with a really good tenant. Only had one so far. So
1: So I love having rental properties. I think it diversifies what you do with building money for the future. I wouldn't see it being a high priority for you to sell it. First of all, your mortgage is a very affordable payment per month because you paid one thirty for the property. What kind of monthly payment do you have?
7: Um, well, I don't do escrow, so it's about uh, it's a uh, just under five hundred dollars a month.
1: And so your ability to have a cash flow positive situation is so strong, I wouldn't worry about the capital gains. I'd keep that thing.
7: Really? Okay. Okay, I'm glad that it was a black-and-white issue for you. <laughs> I did, I've been struggling for a
1: long time. It's really, I mean, in this case, you lay out the numbers. The last call I had about this, it was absolutely the person should sell the property because of the size gain they had and how much money they had tied up in the house. In your mm-hmm. case, it's completely clear the other way. You should keep it.
7: Even if even if paying it off would mean taking those proceeds and eliminating... Uh, 6 and 5% student
1: loan debt? Well, remember, you're going to be generating positive cash flow every month for as long as you choose to own the rental property, even though you've got 6% loans elsewhere, 3.6% on this, you're still better off keeping the rental property because it's an income producing property. You can take net proceeds from it every month, net of costs, and you can put that towards the student loans. But over the long haul, having that at such a fixed low interest rate, such a low payment, will more than make up for the fact that you're not able to accelerate paying off the student loans in a much quicker cycle.
7: Yeah, we're making really good progress on these student loans too, and I, I thought, wow, well, it'd be really nice to have this uh, have this property and not have this student loan payment, uh, and have the best of both worlds and. We're on our way to that anyway, so I guess it makes sense to hold on to that property.
1: Completely. I mean, I you know, you said that you'd been struggling with it, Andrew, and here I am so clear about it, and it's just sitting back, listening to your situation, and how well this works for you financially, to me it is really clear, and I would in a situation as favorable as the economics are for you, I would let it be a cash cow for you for decades to come. I bought my first rental property in 1983. It still is a money machine. Terry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Terry. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You? Good. How can I be of service to you?
8: Well, I was looking at your website, which I enjoy doing, to see the solutions that you found for people and to see that I'm not alone and trying to sort stuff out. You had a link to a social security calculator. At what age should you start drawing? And I'm curious about those calculations. I've read before that they're actuarially based and you can wait longer and get a bigger check. But on average... The average person is still going to collect the same life benefits and if that's the case what is the value in waiting
1: great question all right so here's the story here's why now the math overwhelmingly favors waiting till later to take social security if you take social security at age 62 the check you get is significantly reduced from what you'd get at age 66 which is also significantly reduced from what you'd get at age 70 and the latest you want to wait is ever age 70 but the the formula that's used every year you delay you get the equivalent of an 8% higher check from social security and then that check becomes the basis for how you inflation adjust all through the years because nobody can earn that kind of money on their money right now, there's never been a time in my lifetime that the math formulas would show in most cases that delaying taking Social Security is very much to your benefit. The other thing is that it's, um, it's a longevity bet. Because if you delay receiving Social Security for a long time, then your break-even year Will be usually somewhere in your early 80s. Gets pretty confusing quickly, doesn't it, Terry? Uh, the math, I understand. I'm a physicist. So oh man, that's okay. I'm having to go toe to toe with a physicist. I don't have a chance. Uh, I don't have. Okay.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thought. If I looked at it, and I said at age 62, it's a little over a thousand dollars a month. Through age 70 is eight years, 96 months. I would collect $96,000. Round figures, age 70, the benefit is $2,000. So basically, I've lost a 1000 in quotes if I start early. But I have $96,000 a month that I've collected. So it seems like for the next 96 months, not counting any time, value, money, or anything like that, I'm ahead still.
1: Yeah, eight years before even nominally you're even.
8: And if taking that money keeps me from dipping into my 401k or IRA at all, don't I have a head start by taking the money earlier?
1: That is a great question. The reality is, is that often with the money you can earn on your money today in an IRA or anything like that, you're generally better off taking money in your 60s from your investment accounts, than taking the Social Security earlier because of the enormous back-end benefit if you live a long time. If you follow what I've said about waiting later, and then you promptly die not too long after, then I have really messed things up for you. But if you live a really long time, which the odds are very strong so many people will live an ultra-long time now, then that's where you suffer. But the ultimate, and the reason I think it's worth you going to that link for Maximize My Social Security and spending the $40 is there are unique wrinkles with Social Security that are worth you running the analysis on for your individual situation and then make that call about whether you should do 62, 66, 70, whichever.
0: Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.
3: Everyone sells today. So how do you bring your best sales game every day? Simple. Listen to the Advanced Selling Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Bill Kasky. And I'm Brian Neal. Each week, we answer listener questions like, how do I compete against a cheap competitor? And Brian's favorite, because he always has an answer to this, how do I meet with a CEO when they won't even return my calls? The Advanced Selling Podcast is where the best go to get better.
0: Listen Mondays on Podcast One and on iTunes.
9: What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber.
4: The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, it never seems to speak back to you. just kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it.
9: The British putting more military troops on the streets now, as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.